This is A Killing in Kent, a podcast on the fascinating life and confounding death of Thomas Arden of Feversham. Ask yourself this. If you were Alice Arden, how many different plans would you make so that you were absolutely sure that at least one of your murderous plots would eventually pay off? In our last episode, we heard how it was Alice herself who foiled the plan to poison her jealous husband's porridge. And we saw how Alice and her lover Mosby recruited a local painter, Clark, to make them a poisoned crucifix which would kill anyone who looked at it. When we last left the beautiful and villainous Alice, we saw her enlist another conspirator to her cause, a neighbor named Green. Green had his own reasons for wanting to have Arden meet an untimely end, and so he accepted money from Alice to hire some cutters, professional killers, to murder Arden while he's on a trip to London. Green follows Arden to London, and while he's on the road, he runs into two very bad guys. In the play, these outlaws are called Black Will and George Shakebag. In some versions of the story, Shakebag is called Loosebag. Green writes a letter to Alice, telling her that he's found the perfect scoundrels for the job. He asks the guy he's traveling with, a goldsmith named Bradshaw, to give his letter to Alice when he gets back to Feversham to keep her updated. We learn later in the tale that Black Will and Shakebag are serious reprobates. They're thieves and sometimes murderers. It seems that Black Will is the worst of the two, but maybe that's because we also know how he was a soldier at one point, which feels like an admirable job. And then we see that he's left anything admirable behind him. In fact, when Bradshaw was looking to find out who sold some stolen gold at his shop, Black Will recognizes the description of the thief and rats him out to Bradshaw. You know the saying, there is no honor among thieves. At this point, we have to mention that in the play, Arden has a bestie who goes with him everywhere, including this trip to London. His name is Franklin. But the thing is, Franklin is a figment of the playwright's imagination. He's got a lot of platitudes and bad advice about women. Like, he suggests that Arden stay in London for a month while Alice is at home in Feversham, even though he knows that Mosby is spending an unseemly amount of time in the Arden house while he's out of town. Let me just say, it's probably for the best that he's not a real guy. One of the really intriguing parts of the story of Arden of Feversham doesn't have anything to do with the tragic story of a man who is brutally murdered by his wife. It has to do with the mystery of who wrote the play. When the play was first published in 1592, it was anonymous, and since then it seems like everyone and their brother has a theory of who wrote it. Before we get into any of them, let me just say that most people agree there's a really good chance that the play was a collaborative effort. Scholar Catherine Richardson points out that at that time, it wasn't that unusual for younger playwrights to apprentice under a more experienced author, and the play is written in several different styles. 
So, who are the candidates for collaborative authors? Not surprisingly, the same people who are candidates for solo authorship. Some people, like scholar Brian Vickers, say it's written by Thomas Kidd, the playwright behind The Spanish Tragedy. He was born in 1558 and died in 1594, so the timeline works out. The main evidence for Kidd is that there are a lot of textual parallels with others of his works. Another possibility is Christopher Marlowe. Marlowe's a good candidate because he was from Canterbury and so he'd know the details of the plot from growing up 10 miles from Feversham. Another scholar, Gary Taylor, says that a playwright named Thomas Watson wrote it, based on stylometric evidence. Other scholars claim that it's an early work by Shakespeare. In fact, there's a lot of support for the idea that Shakespeare contributed to the play. The New Oxford Shakespeare claims he did, but the editors of that publication don't buy Marlowe or Kidd as the other contributors. So what makes people think it's Shakespeare? You may have heard of computer-driven lexical analysis, which allows researchers to compile language traits that are found in works by authors where the authorship is not questioned, and then compare those traits to the language in plays by unknown authors. It's not conclusive, but researchers believe that scenes 4 through 9 of Arden of Feversham belong to Shakespeare. Those scenes feature some of his signature agricultural allusions and gardening themes. Sometimes researchers analyze linguistic quirks, like the phrase, I warrant, and how many times it's used. And then there's the poetry. The part of Arden of Feversham that's been attributed to Shakespeare is written 99% in verse, and the rest of the play is 15% prose. That's significant. Another thing to consider is how much better Shakespeare writes female characters than Kidd or Marlowe. If you look at the breakdown of lines, which scholar Andrew Power did, Alice has 24.7% of the lines of the play. That's more than Arden, 12.5%, and Mosby, 11.9%, put together. Alice is a powerful female character. There's a part near the end of the play that reminds the modern viewer of a scene in the Scottish play where Lady Macbeth washes her hands and says her most famous line. It feels very possible that a younger Shakespeare contributed the idea for that scene in Arden of Feversham, even if this section isn't one of the scenes that's attributed to him. Plus, Shakespeare would have been familiar with the story of Alice and her murderous associates because, according to the Faversham Society, Shakespeare visited Faversham two years before the play came out as a member of Lord Lester's company of players. Anyway, back to the story. While Alice and Mosby are carrying on in Faversham, Arden is busy cheating death in London. Black Will is ready to kill him while he's walking around St. Paul's churchyard in the play with Franklin, his bestie, but there are too many other people walking around, and Black Will doesn't even try because he knows he won't be able to get away without being noticed. Black Will decides he needs to have a surer thing. He conspires with Arden's servant, Michael, so that Michael will leave the door open after Arden goes to bed. Black Will would then come and kill Arden in his sleep. The plan goes well, to a point, 
Michael leaves the door unlocked. And then he thinks better of it, figuring that Black Will is so bad that he would probably kill Michael too, even though he isn't supposed to. Michael may be a coward, but he's not dumb. That sounds exactly like something Black Will would do. There's a funny scene in the play depicting another foiled attempt by Black Will and Shakebag. They're standing outside a row of market stalls, waiting for Arden to walk by, and just as Black Will's poised to make his move on Arden, the guy in the market stall they're leaning up against decides to close up shop and puts the window down on his booth and traps Black Will's head in the window. It's funny, but it's not mentioned in the historical Hollinshed Chronicles. But one that is in Hollinshed is murder attempt number four, or is it five by now? Black Will and Shakebag try to get Arden while he's on the road. They're lying in wait, but wouldn't you know, Lord Cheney, the same guy that sold Arden the Abbey land, comes along and notices the two bad guys who are hiding in the shrubbery along the side of the road. Good old Sheriff Cheney. There's a reason they put that guy in charge of law and order in Kent. Another time, Arden is going to visit Lord Cheney at his house on the Isle of Sheppey, which requires getting on the ferry from the mainland across the swale. Black Will and Shakebag are there in plenty of time to catch him, but in the play, it's really foggy out, and sure enough, Arden gets on the ferry without Black Will and Shakebag being able to see him. In the other historic documents, there's no mention of fog, but I, for one, like the addition. It gives the bad guys a reason why they missed again, and it gives Arden one of my favorite lines of the play. This mist, my friend, is truly mystical. There's something so comical about these two guys who have done some seriously bad things in their lives being thwarted so many times by a man who has no idea they're even trying to murder him. Almost as if Providence is on his side. Too bad his fate is eventually going to catch up with him. In the next episode, we're going to learn how Arden finally meets his untimely end and what backgammon and a light dusting of snowfall have to do with it. Thank you for listening to A Killing in Kent, The Fascinating Life and Confounding Death of Thomas Arden of Feversham. I'm your host, Diane Rayo Harmon. This show is produced by Jeff Harmon, with theme music by Harold Bryce Harmon.